Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Romans chapter 4 will be uh, starting where we left off with verse 13. But before I get into it, the whole I, I want to I want to talk about the whole premise of this passage, this latter part of uh, Romans four. I'm going to talk about it now. I'm going to reiterate it in my bookend. I uh, bookend this sermon with with this this thought this thesis, this main, this point that Paul is bringing across. We have, we have all around us, so many of us are in seemingly impossible situations. I don't want to, my, my child is going the wrong direction. They're into drugs or alcohol or or whatever's going on. My marriage is falling apart. I don't know what to do. The situation is impossible. My work situation isn't looking good. It looks like I'm going to be laid off and I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills next month. The situation seems impossible. I have this addiction to, to drugs or alcohol or pornography or, or some other sin that I can't seem to overcome. It beats me every time. The situation is impossible. Seems our country situation is deteriorating and, and there seems to be conflict and, and shootings and fighting and, and riots every, every day and Situation seems impossible. I'm going to hear you tell you this afternoon, this point, this hour, as we start chapter 4, that our God is, is specializes in impossible things. Our God is the God of the impossible. Anything that we seem is, is totally impossible. It can't be done. I can't see how we're going to save this. We're going to help that. I don't know how I can get out of the situation that I'm in. God is the God of the impossible. Forget that. I mentioned before how it seems like so many Christians treat God like a pagan God. And that's how a pagan treats their God. Whether it's made of wood or stone or, or some other material, there, there, there's a hope that, that, that this deity, this God, may be able to, to help the person, but it's certainly by far no expectation And so you rely on yourself. I, I, I have somebody some tell me, 
you know, I've gotten used to relying on myself, taking care of myself because no one's going to help me. I am the, the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. And yes, I have some God I, I worship and, 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 and do things for to placate the God, right? That's how a pagan thinks. And so many Christians treat God like that. I come to church, I say my prayers, I sing, I put a couple bucks in the offering, and and then I'm going to live my life and figure, and I have my problems. It seems impossible to me, but I'm going to try to work it out on my own. So many people I, I've asked, they have this impossible situation. I said, well, have you taken this to God? Let alone actually fasted and prayed about it. Have you just taken it to God? And the answer is no. Why? Because they're treating God like a pagan God. They're treating God as if he's just made out of stone. <clears throat> but Abraham didn't treat God like that. And Paul here uh, shows that Abraham, because he, 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 was, he become, became our father in faith in how we are to trust God. He gives him an example, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through righteousness that comes by faith. Wasn't there anything that he did? Not certain things. I do certain things. Then, then God is going to say that I'm righteous because I've done certain things. Abraham didn't, and nor did his descendants uh, obtain righteousness by, by doing certain things. But, rather, Receive righteousness from God by trusting, by believing in God. If those, verse 14, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is canceled. Now, if that sounds from a Pastor Darrell, I think you read that verse already. I uh, know. Paul's repeating himself. So it seems for me that's the reason. I, for thousands of years, the ancients, uh, if they had an important point, they'd repeat it. We don't really do that in our writing now. We make a point and then we move on. We might repeat it again one time when we summarize either a chapter or you know, in a conclusion for the whole book. We might repeat it one time there. Uh, but for the most part, there's no repetition. Um, but that wasn't so for, for thousands of years. I, I in fact, I, when I, my first attempt at systematic theology, when I was in my early 20s, 
I would get frustrating read, reading some of the writings of the ancient Christians because they they would say the same thing over and over again in slightly different ways. And I, I thought I wasn't getting it. I'd read it, Tim, and I'd be like, well, that seems like they're just they're saying what they just said already, but that can't be so. So I must be missing something. I thought I was having trouble comprehending the writing, and I got so frustrated with it. It wasn't until 20 years later when I read the writings again, I realized, oh, no, I wasn't missing anything. They were just trying to hammer home a point. And that's kind of important. Maybe we've lost something by not doing that. I know my son's probably tired of me repeating things. But when I grew when I was growing up, the things I remember my dad saying are are those things that he said over and over and over again. So whatever I think is important, I say over and over and over again. Uh, and so here Paul is doing that as this point. What is this point? He's saying, look, if you keep saying people who do certain things, then God is pleased to you and say, well, you're righteous because you've done these certain things. Then what did he say? Faith has made it. Faith has lost its value. There's no value to just trusting in God because you can just do it yourself. And then so God's promise is void because you don't need to just trust in God. But that's not the reality, is it? We see this in verse 15. For the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay. Law produces God, wrath is in God's wrath. I, I'm told... Don't do that, and I do it anyways. I violated God's law. I knew about it. And I violated, I've committed a crime against the, the sovereign of the universe. But if I don't know about it, God's not going to hold it against me. God is not going to punish what has not been brought to light. And you might say, well, then I just won't read the Bible and I'll be safe. I don't want to hear any more preaching now. I'm going to cover my ears so I don't learn any more about what God expects of me. So I can just live it. That's not how it works. The Bible says God's law is written on our hearts. We've all done things, even from young childhood, we knew was wrong. We did it anyways. And so we've all knowingly sinned. We've all knowingly violated God's law. So therefore, we're kind of stuck, aren't we? We can't say, well, I've kept God's law. No, you haven't. No one has. So then we're, we're, we're left in a hopeless situation if it was not for Christ. And this thing called <clears throat> salvation by faith. Uh, verse <clears throat> 16. 
This is why the promise is by faith, right? Because we're helpless. We have, we're out of options. We, we violated God's law. So, you know, trying to main, continue to be righteous, that, that it's not going to work. So what we, we, we need it to be according to grace. We need, we need God's grace. And that's what Paul says, so that it may be according to grace. So our only hope is trusting in God and relying on His, His grace, His mercy. And he continues on to, to guarantee it to all descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. So Jew and Gentile, everybody follows Mosaic law. Those who don't, we trust in, if we trust in God the same way Abraham did, then then we can have this righteousness too. And you might uh, say, wow, Paul is spending a lot of time on, on very simple things, right? Faith, righteousness, grace. Uh, don't worry, we're going to get into much deeper things as we go through Romans. So if you feel like, well, I'm I'm already past this, Pastor Daryl. I'm I I was saved years ago, and I appreciate that. I know. Well, a couple of things. First off, it's good to kind of refresh your thoughts on it, refresh your memory, think about it new again. Because who knows, this week you might be called to explain this to somebody. Someone doesn't understand, and they want to know about it, and you got to be able to explain it to them. I. Second is, it might be somebody here or in the, listening to the podcast who hasn't been saved, doesn't understand what the relationship between faith and, and righteousness is. So we trust in God, right? And doing so, Abraham becomes our father of the faith. Continuing in verse 17, he, he, how, how did he become, in what way? So if, if, if we have faith like him, he becomes a, how, we, I would want to know, if I was supposed to have faith like Abraham, I would want to know, how does Abraham have faith? In what way does he have faith? What does that look like in his life? Well, Paul explains that. First off, he believed in God. Believing in, not believing he existed. He trusted him, relied upon him. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. So we're not talking about some God of myth or some God or some spirit that has limited abilities. We're not talking about some person, some human, man or woman, that is mortal and, and 
has even more uh, limited abilities than a spirit might. We're talking about the all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God who gives life to the dead and calls things in existence that do not exist. <clears throat> Gave life to the dead. He, 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 he raised Jesus from the dead. He calls things in existence that did not exist. He created the universe from absolutely nothing. None of us can do that. That's impossible for us, isn't it? Raising the dead is impossible for us, isn't it? But it's something that God finds very easy. Before we're in a position to believe God's promises, we need to be sure both of His power, that is He able to keep them, and His faithfulness, that He can be relied on to do so. Is God able to keep His promises? Can we rely on Him to keep His promises? It's these two attributes of God which were the foundations of Abraham's faith on which Paul reflects in this passage. First, take, take God's power. Two evidences are brought together at the end of verse 17 where God, the object of Abraham's faith, is, is called the God who gives life to the dead, which is resurrection, and calls things that are not as though they were, or perhaps better, calls into being that are not, which is creation. <clears throat> I, earlier I quoted uh, the last two lines of a poem written by William Ernest Henley, uh, where he wrote, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am in charge. I control my life. I make the decisions of my life and chart the path of my life. It's actually a philosophy behind that called existentialism. And it's, it's very prominent right now. You know the problem they have? The one we, the weak, major, the fatal flaw, no pun intended, the fatal flaw of existentialism is death. They are terrified of the reality of death. They cannot, they may be able to, to hold off death for a certain point, but they cannot escape it. Woody Allen epitomized for many modern people this inability with, to cope with the prospect of death when he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. But nothingness and death are no problem to God. And we have a hard time wrapping our heads around it, so when things go awry... We think, well, this situation is impossible, and I can't, I can't fix this, and I can't trust God either to be able to or rely on to fix it. Or to take care of me, or to get me through whatever I'm going through. So their faith begins to wane, and their trust 
It's hard. Some people find it hard to trust God even when they can't see how. That's Abraham trusted God even though he couldn't see how. We're going to talk more about that. But God can do the impossible. When I was a child, I, at Christmas time, we'd, we'd decorate the tree, and, and my dad would pick me up and have me, actually take turns with my sister, have us put the star on top of the Christmas tree, like I'm sure many families have done. It's something that I wanted to do with my kids. Except it was a little different for us. We ended up with a nine-foot, right? Nine-foot? Nine-foot uh, Christmas tree that we had for years. And so, obviously, I couldn't reach up there with the kids, so we get the stepladder out, and I stand on the stepladder and put the kids up there. And I, I loved My sister and I would argue over whose turn it was to put the star up. My kids didn't have that problem because near them wanted to do it. When I get them up, all they could see is how far they were from the ground and, and they were afraid. Lots of tears were shed during that moment that I envisioned in my head as being uh, a, a, a special uh, memory, Christmas memory. Uh, my kids uh, will probably have years with a the therapist uh, over their fear of Christmas trees and, and stars. They had, they, even though I was in perfect control, I was perfectly capable of keeping them safe, and 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 there was no risk whatsoever. They couldn't see that because to them it was impossible, and so they had a hard time trusting me. And fear began to, to to enter into their minds, kind of like Peter when he asked Jesus to let him go out into the water. And he got into the water and he's walking on water. How, that's impossible, right? And at first he was okay, but then he started seeing the waves and, and, he, and, and he realized, hey, you know what? This is kind of impossible. I shouldn't be able to do this. And, he, and the fear began to enter into his mind. And he began to sink in the waves and he cried out to Jesus and Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. And told Peter, oh, ye of little faith. In our lives, things go awry and we're surrounded and we're placed in an impossible situation. It is so easy to forget that our God is the God of impossible things. There's a story about a lady, uh, who, who, an old woman who, who saw the lifeless trees in winter. Out her window, she was looking out. And because her mind was clouded with Alzheimer's disease, she thought the trees were dead. And she told her daughter, someone should, should cut down those trees. And she'd tell that every day, she's out the window, 
and she'd tell her daughter, someone should cut down those trees. They aren't coming back. How often we see our own leafless circumstances with a mind clouded by past experience and disappointment. We may look at a friendship, a marriage, a family feud and say to ourselves, cut it down, sever the tie, make the break, it's hopeless. But God wants us to see with hope because of his presence and power. We can't bring life to these seemingly impossible situations, but God can. What impossible situation do you have going on today? Don't believe everything your mind tells you about it. Instead, ask God for eyes of faith that see with hope. And like that man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God remembers that we're human and we're weak and we're not that bright. And he's gentle and patient with us. Continue on, verse 18, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. Abraham believed, as the Bible says, hoping against hope. What does that mean? It means any hope that he had according to uh, natural law was gone. There's, it's impo- Situation is impossible. There's no natural way this is going to happen, and we're going to find out more detail shortly in that. But his situation... So instead of hoping for the natural means, he hoped in God. I remember a story that Daryl Stetler's uh, grandfather, Kenneth Stetler, uh, told. <clears throat> One particular December, um, there were some financial issues, and he wasn't going to get a paycheck for a month. And... He wasn't sure what he was going to do. There was, at that point, there was seemingly no natural way to fix it. And so they, they trusted God. They, they, they took it to the Lord. And they left it in His hands. And you know what? Back in the day when people still gave Christmas cards. So every year you get, you know, 20 or 30 or so Christmas cards. That particular December, their Christmas cards would come in, and, and, and as far as I know, nobody knew about what was going on, except for a very select people. But they had friends and fam- friends from all over the U.S. sending them cards they normally do, but all the cards are filled with money. $20 here, $50 there, $10 here, and, and, it can, and it covered all of their needs. 
And then by January, things were back to normal and everything was okay. And they never again had that influx of cash. God is the God of impossible things. People getting themselves into trouble with sin because they come upon a situation and they think, God's not going to have a solution for me, so I'm going to take it into my own hands. Whether it's a concern out of personal welfare or happiness or an ethical dilemma of some kind, I take it in my own hands, and then they end up falling deep into sin. Verse 19, this is talking about Abraham. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old, and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah was around 90 at the time. And he said, without weakening in the faith. So Abraham was like, I'm an old guy. I'm basically one foot in the grave. And my wife has been, you know, 50 years past childbearing age. And God tells him he's going to have a bunch of kids. Grandkids, great-grandkids, like the stars his descendants will be. And and by the way, I, I in in, in um, Abraham, while uh, an example in the faith, wasn't perfect, right? And got himself into trouble for a couple times. He didn't trust God to take care of things. One time they were traveling through, and and he lied about Sarah being his wife. He didn't trust God to, to protect them. So he decided to take it in his own hands. And he lied, he committed a sin, and, and caused problems. And then, also by the way, his son repeated that same sin later on. And then later... Uh, God made his promise, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have a son, your wife's going to... And, 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 and Abraham, at some point, decides to take it into his own hands. And gets his, his wife's servant pregnant. And causes a lot of problems with that. But here, he didn't weaken the faith. He believed God. A lot of times when we see impossible situations, our faith can weaken. I don't see how God can do this. Verse 20, He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. How did... 
he gave glory to God. He, he He let God be God. Verse 21, because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham was fully convinced that God had promised this would happen and God was able to perform it. What has God, what God promised you? My grace is sufficient for you. Come to me and I will give you rest. He who waits on the Lord shall renew their strength. There are dozens and dozens of promises in the Bible that we can claim and rely on but are often we dismiss it, Christians dismiss it because it requires them just to completely trust God. And that's hard to do. That requires letting go of control of your life. Verse 22, Therefore it was credited to him for righteousness, this faith, this, this trust, this, con this conviction that God was ready and willing to perform his promises. The Bible says that it was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 23, Now it is credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone. So this recorded in the Bible that it was credited to him, wasn't just for him, but it was also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Occasionally when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, when I'm witnessing to somebody, I will do what's called the good test. I will ask them various, uh, if they were lied, stolen, uh, uh, had lustful thoughts, things like that, and, taking God's name in vain, and they'll say yes to, to most, if not all of them. And they'll say, well, if you died right now and you found yourself before God, would he find you innocent or guilty? And, and most of them will say guilty, and say, would you go to heaven or hell? And a lot of them will say, I hope heaven. I hope God will see that I've, I've worked hard, I tried my best, and he'll let me in heaven. That's not what the Bible says. We can't, and that's what everybody's hoping for. I'm going to do the right things, and maybe, maybe God will be happy with me. That's very another pagan idea. That's a um, uh, ancient Egyptian beliefs. You know, you die and you stand. I can't remember which, if it was Osiris or uh, whoever it was. Uh, you stood before this uh, Egyptian god, and and the god weighed your heart. And if your heart was was as light as a feather, then 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 you would be ushered into their version of heaven. If if it was heavier than a feather, then you'd be ushered into their version of hell. And I, you know, I hope I do all the right things. You know, do the sacrifices, go through the rites, and do this or that. 
and it hasn't changed now. People are like, well, I'm basically good. I'm not as good bad as that person. I try to be nice to people. I, I give money to charities. I help animals. I, and and I, I do all the social justice stuff. And I, so I'm doing all these good things. And I hope, fingers crossed, that God will be happy with me and, and, and will let me in heaven. I'm telling you now, it's not, it's not going to happen. There's not enough good you can do. None of us. Because we've all violated the law. And it's just like if you violate anything, you know, if you, if you have this, uh, this rapist that stands before a judge and, and he was caught from a rape, let's say, you know, a decade ago, and, uh, and, and there's all clear evidence that he's guilty, right? Uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the rapist says, well, but judge, yeah, ever since then, I've been model citizen. You know, I've, I've, I've led these community events and I've raised money for the library and I've, I've fed starving children and I've, I, I've gone to uh, poor parts of, of South America and built hospitals and this and that. That doesn't matter at all. He's guilty of rape. And he's going to prison. Anybody's things to stand before God, it doesn't matter at all what you've done. You've been guilty. And you're going to prison. And your only hope, our only hope, is just trusting God and believing in Him and believing in Jesus and saying, God, forgive me for my sins and I believe Jesus died for me and I'll make Him a Lord of my life. And God pronounces us righteous from that. How wonderful is that? Verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and raised for our justification. In this chapter, the apostle gives us instruction about the nature of faith. He indicates that there are degrees of faith, for faith can be weak and it can be strong. How does faith grow? If we have weak faith, we have weak faith and we have strong faith and we're encouraged to have strong faith, how do we get our faith to grow? It's through the use of our minds. Thinking these through. Reasoning. So God said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Faith is not burying our heads in the sand or screwing ourselves up to believe what we know is not true. On the contrary, faith is a reasoning trust. When you think about it, has God ever, ever, ever let you down? Did He ever not do what He said He would? The answer is no. And so in this situation, as I, I conclude uh, today's sermon, I want to remind you once again, whatever situation you're in, whatever, however seemingly impossible it is, I want to remind you, 
you serve the God of impossible things. God specializes and finds it easy to overcome impossible circumstances if you would just trust them. Say, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I need your help. Just tell me what I need to do next. I'm going to leave it in your hands and leave it from there. Stop being the master of your soul. Stop being the captain of your fate. Let God be your captain and your Lord. And you will not regret it. And there will be some amazing stories to come from it if you actually do that. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.